All right, everyone, go ahead and grab uh, or go back to your seats and remain standing for me. And uh, go ahead and use your worship guide and turn to a section called the Authority of Scriptures um, and remain standing for the Authority of Scriptures. Uh, what I will read, I'll read the, the passage for us and I would encourage all those to uh, follow along in bold. So this is the Word of God, 1 Peter three thirteen through 17. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For all flesh is like grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen and amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. So let me ask you the question of the day. Um, so the society around us is becoming more and more post-Christian. And so how are you responding to that fact, right? Uh, the society is becoming more blatant and adamant. And so we have to admit there's things that are uh, changing around us. Some of you in here who may, uh, may be looking at society and you may be celebrating the fact that things are changing. Some of you may be standing up and wanting to fight against the society for changing. And some of you are shrinking back and finding yourself a little bit intimidated by what is happening around us. And so do you shrink away? Do you hide? Or do you step toward society? As Christians, which direction do you go? Do you go backwards or do you go forward? Knowing that very quickly the belief systems around us and so do you hide or you engage? Some of you remember the old children's game, red light, green light. Right? That is very simple. The rules are simple. When I'm facing you, I say red light and you're not allowed to move. Then I can turn my back on you and I can say green light. And all, of the, all the kids who are starting at the starting line are trying to get to me. Right? And so on green light, you're able to go as fast as you want. But when I turn around and say red light, if I find one person moving, I can point them out and they go back to the starting line. It's very simple, right? And so in the text today, there is one simple word in our text that should give us some type of green light to be able to go forward. That would encourage you and me to not be, be intimidated, but actually to lean in and push forward and take a big step into the society that God has placed us in. And so what society do you belong in? Well, we are in the West. It's the year 2022. We are here in America. We are in Appalachia. That's the society in which we are to take a step toward. So if you find yourself shrinking backwards or at least being a little bit intimidating, very similar to what Audrey is saying today, we're trying to encourage you to potentially not be afraid, but actually to lean forward. And our text is a word that's very small, right? But it's an essential word for our faith. And that word is defense or defense. 
And so what comes to mind when you hear the word defense or defense? March Madness just ended, right? And so defense, if you're playing defense, you're trying to do what? Josh Roark is six, nine and, uh, and a half and three quarters. What, what, what do you do on defense, coach? Keep the ball out of the hoop, right? It's that simple. And then that's what it is. All right, so we, if you're talking in March Madness terms, if you're on defense, right, you're trying to keep the ball out of the hoop. Now, if you look at um, cable news uh, regarding Russia's senseless and violent war against Ukraine, defense is something different, right? So in wartime, what the sovereign nation is trying to do is trying to use all of its resources to help preserve life or try to preserve property or even independence from a warring country. Makes sense? So we kind of understand this word. But when you find it here in the biblical text and you understand what defense might be, it takes almost a little bit of a different ring. Why are we being so defensive? That doesn't seem like we're taking a step forward at all. So why would a word like this help encourage us this morning to take a step forward? To trust in God that he is steadfast and, and he is allowing us to move forward to walk into society with boldness. I want to redirect your attention back to 1 Peter 3.15 and I want us to read it again together. So it says this, but in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. There you go. That's today's word. It's this idea that we are to make a defense. When Peter uses this word, he uses it in the same way that coaches coach, all right, and commanders command. Biblically speaking, He's trying to do something for us that we are to defend the faith, to give a proof, to be able to put some, some tangible reality to the faith that we have. Because the society around us, they have lots of questions about us. Some of them are sneering questions and some of them are authentic questions, but they're questions and are we ready? Being able to answer such questions, this is the defense that he's trying to say. And so today, uh, we're going to call it defense of the gospel, and that is our main text for today. And so this is a fancy word called apologetics. Here the word defense is apologia. You don't need to know that, but you may understand this word in and around some things. But if you haven't, that's okay. Um, you, you may not have ever heard that, but you're in luck because that is the main point for today is to understand what exactly is going on. And so thank you, Daniel McIntosh, Daniel D. McIntosh for the great definitions. He's sitting over there. He's in the sports jacket. All right. And so if you have more interest in what apologetics might be, go find him after the service. He hasn't started a class like this, but if enough of you pester him, he will, Right. Oh, look, see, he didn't even, he wasn't aware, uh, even aware of that. So we just, that's what guilt does, or just at least public shame is like, right, Daniel? So he loves this topic, right? He's taught it, he's taught many classes on this, right? He's really, really good. So here's, here's what we have in front of us. So what exactly is apologetics? Apologetics is a formal argumentation to defend something such as a position or, or, or a system, 
It's a field of study concerning some type of systematic, right? Like real defense of a re- one single religious doctrine or the full doctrine. It's a branch of theology that has to do with di- the proofs and realities of the Christian faith. Because whether we like it or not, sure, there are mystical and supernatural realities of the Christian faith. But we too are a Christian people. We are a people of faith who, we, this faith is objective and is reasonable and there are plenty of proofs out there. In fact, when Paul is in front of magistrates all throughout the book of Acts, over and over and over, he, t- he tells the judges, whoever's in front of them, he gives them real proofs of what is actually, actually happening. And so, but why? Why should we defend this? Because society is asking questions. Again, some of them sarcastic, some of them sincere, but they're asking questions and they're asking the question, why? Why do you do this? Why is this important to you? How could you believe something like this? Holy Week is a beautiful time of year. Not only is it springtime, right? But it's a beautiful time of year because in all of our hearts, both secular and religious, we start asking the fundamental questions of why. Holy Week is an excuse to recenter our faith and work on what Jesus said he was going to do and actually what he was able to accomplish. He was flesh and blood apologetics and we are to go and we are to defend that, that reality. But we live inside of an an, an antagonistic society, don't we? You understand, right, that this is a letter to a church who was starting in verse 13 that says you were starting to experience some harm. Because you follow Jesus, because you have this, 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 this faith rhythm of your life, it's actually causing harm to you. There's insults that are being hurled or people are losing their jobs and and things are happening simply because these people have claimed Jesus. And so in the same way, there's an antagonistic society today. So it's not just first century in modern day Turkey that was experiencing that. Even now, as Christians, there's some rumblings out there. This is the key part of the book, right? To miss this part of the book is to, to miss what Peter is trying to tell us. Because he's telling the original audience, and I'm telling you this morning, that your faith is going to come at a cost. It's going to be costly to, to walk with Jesus. They're, they are currently undergoing pressures to conform to the culture. Maybe you too are feeling the pressure to conform to society. This fledgling, small, young church is experiencing significant consequences if they fail to conform to Caesar. The first century, Christians were being accused of being a cult. And that's why they were being ostracized. That's why they were not getting the perks of living in a society. That's why some of them were losing their jobs and losing, losing it. Yet, Peter does not advocate at that moment to withdraw, does he? He doesn't tell you to shrink away, does he? He actually is giving us tools in order to handle the complexity that's in front of us. And so when he doesn't advocate for the church's withdrawal, instead, he's telling you to be aware of the attacks that are to come for it not to catch you by surprise. One commentary says, faith does not close the doors to relationship with other people. 
not out of fear and not out of hate. In turn, openness to others just in the way that you are open to God. That's what Audrey is saying, right? To openness to others in the same way that we are open to God. We should not be a people who are standing in isolation, but we should be a Christian community who's living life openly in front of a believing world. Don't forget, Peter is in Rome and Rome is currently being run by a guy named Nero. Just do a quick Wikipedia page on Nero and just see what type of of beastly acts he did, not only to his own society, but to Christians in general. This is truly counter-cultural type stuff. Peter is a good pastor. And so how is he instructing them? And he's telling us that we need to be set apart in all things, to be set apart. Remember all the way back in chapter two, he tells us that we are to be holy in the same way that Jesus is holy, that God is holy. And the word for holy is just set apart, to look a little bit different, to to see the kingdom and see it from another vantage point. And that's why he says, for those who are shrinking back, we actually want you to honor the emperor. If your employee, employer is mistreating you, we actually want you to walk toward that employer. If you have a spouse who is an unbelieving spouse, we want you to be kind to that spouse. Last week we talked about insult to insult, reviling to reviling. And yet Peter says, when you were insulting, what should you do? You shouldn't give back payment. Instead, you are to bless, you are to withhold natural instincts to insult back and instead you are to bless them in return. This is countercultural. Peter is trying to give you and I tools in which we are to be able to do that because there's going to be emperors one day and there's going to be employers one day and there's going to be spouses one day and there are going to be people who have been hurling insults insults toward you. And you have, if you have postured yourself not to insult back, but to bless and to honor those people, guess what will happen? Those people, emperors and spouses alike will say, why? Why do you act the way that you do? Why are you so gracious? Why is there light in your life? Why is grace just oozing out of you? Why is there more beauty in your life? And that is compelling. He tells us that emperors and employers and spouses and everyday society at some point, because of the conduct in which you present yourself, will Ask the question, why? And that's why First Peter tells us that we need to come with a defense. We need to tell people what is the reason for our hope. And so that's how we work inside of an antagonistic society. Is it easier to withdraw? Absolutely. Is it harder and messier to engage? Yes. The fact is life won't get easier. Rejections will actually get more harsh and the consequences may be more severe. But Peter is not talking about the results. He's talking about our faithfulness to be willing to take a step toward. In your life and mine, someone took a step toward you 
I know where I was when Christ found me and I wasn't much to look at or sound or, or listen to. Real grace, real beauty, real, real light still has an impact on society. And what Peter's saying is that you're gonna get everyday type of opportunities to do this. It may not be in a classroom setting or a lecture type like this. It may just be in everyday type of opportunities. As a church, we will be in situations every day that will allow you to look around and act differently and sound differently from the culture. So this culture may hurl insults at you. They may even harm you with your zealousness for doing good. So what do you do? What do you do? You take these real opportunities. You understand that what Jesus has done for us. And what do you do? You simply give them a reason for the hope that you have. It's that simple. You simply give a reason for the hope that you have. The world is surprised by this word called hope. The world just can't, they don't know what to do with beauty and light and grace and hope. On June 17th, 2015, a man named Dylan Roof walked into the back of an African-American church in Charleston, South Carolina and unloaded a gun over a praying people. They were there quietly gathered to pray and instead, they got bullets instead of their prayers answered. Dylan Roof sat in the courtroom during his trial, and he remained emotionless. It was as if he was just unaffected by his actions. But right before his sentence, um, the judge gives access to the, the courtroom to say their last things. And so in this moment, just this, I mean, I mean, this was a highly covered trial, lots of, lots of cameras and lots of reporters. Well, in this, more, uh, in this moment, there are spouses of people who've died and aunts and grandmothers. And one by one, these people of this church faced the one, the guilty one. And they offered a familiar refrain that's found throughout scripture. I forgive you. Over and over, mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers, cousins and friends simply said, I forgive you. And with those three world, words, the world took notice. They didn't know what to do with this type of grace. Now, you and I will likely not experience something like that in our lifetime. However, the principle remains the same. How do you and I respond when discomfort or harm comes at our expense. Simply for believing in Jesus and following after Jesus. Our response, as Clowney puts it, should be irritating to a society for the radiance of our virtue. That the posture that we give to society should be an irritant because of the radiance of our virtue. So even though the world may be surprised, we cannot be. 
That's why Peter starts with these questions about what are we going to do for those who suffer for righteousness sake, for those who are experiencing harm for, for zealousness sake. And he's, he's using some rhetorical action here. But it's still the case that we cannot be surprised when harm and hurt comes our way. We have to keep a perspective of an enduring persecution that will get the attention of others. It's Peter who tells, or Paul that tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and then suffer with those who suffer. It's Jesus who says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, take heart, for I've overcome the world. It's Paul who says, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. I delight in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. Peter is evoking the name of Jesus in our text. How should we posture ourselves? By looking at the person and work of Jesus. But in your hearts, Honor Christ the Lord as holy. This should not be a surprise to us. Because if we follow in the example of Jesus, which is found in 221, for this you will have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example in which you are to follow. If done well, the world will notice. And they will notice because of the gospel. The gospel is still good news to a dying world. The good, the, this gospel is still reconciliation for people without peace. The gospel of good news is still grace rather than working your way to heaven. The gospel is according to the scriptures. It's factual and, can be, and can be, it can be tested over and over. The gospel is what turns the world upside down. Christians do not need to vindicate wrongs. Instead, we're free. We get to offer humility and blessing in the face of adversity and understand suffering is truly a virtue for us. Do we care for the lost and a dying world out there? We have to prove it with our actions, our conduct, and it needs to be backed up with words. Our conduct has, has mattered all through the, the, this, this, this uh, context, starting back in, at 2.11. But now Peter is saying you're going to have to then come very strong with words. You're going to have to give a reason. You have to offer a defense. You're going to have to tell them exactly what happens because when you act the way that Peter is telling us to act, people will come and ask you why and it will give you an opportunity in which you will be able to sh share that. So why do you do this? Because in your suffering, Tertullian says, Tertullian says that prison does for the Christian what the desert did for the prophets. So why do you do this? But why do you act the way you do? Because he later says the blood of the martyrs is indeed the seed of the church. Or, church. So do not be surprised when people ask the question, why? It gives us the ability to be a witness to actually give real testimony to the world around you. Look at, look at the, our, our, our key text again. 
verse 15. Look at these two words. They're easy to overlook, but look, always and anyone. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone. I want you to highlight both of those words, always and to anyone. So how can you be a witness? How can you actually be a word, use your words for Christ? How can you testify about what he has done for you and for the world? Well, to always and to everyone to step forward. What Peter is giving you is giving us the green light to go, to share to use real words to real people. Colossians 4, 2 tells us to be watchful and prayerful, to be ready and willing to do these things. Another way of saying this is to be ready and eager and to have optimism and joy and expectancy and just the realization that we live in a world full of opportunities. I love the fact that our church is thinking creatively of how to engage people, how teachers are not just teaching in high schools, but how to engage culture. But over and over and over, we we're hearing stories of a guy came, in, uh, came into the office today. I was like, sorry, I'm a little bit late um, for our meeting. I was talking to the guy at the computer store about Jesus. I'm like, hey, be be late all day long. Your community groups, there's community groups uh, praying for the city by just doing a, a complete prayer walk around the city. We're engaging um, uh, city parks and our ministry. I mean, they're think, we're thinking creatively and it's wonderful and good. But Peter is drawing a delineation that our conduct is good but then it needs to be accentuated with real words to be a witness, to give a reason for the hope that is there. You actually have to use a testimony, real words to engage the society around us. A beautiful picture of this is, I found myself in Louisville, Kentucky uh, earlier this year and uh, we found ourselves at an Airbnb. We're sitting on a front porch and our neighbors were sitting on their front porch and, we're, and we just kind of, we just engaged them in conversation. And we're just asking questions about Louisville and those kinds of things or, or whatever. Well, anyway, they were very proud of their city and that we ended up going to, to dinner with this, with this couple. And so they had no idea that we were a couple of preacher boys, right? They didn't know what they were stepping into. So anyway, of all the things, are all the places that they took us, um, they're um, on just a, one of the most famous uh, streets in Louisville. It was an old Episcopal church that had been turned or renovated into a Mexican restaurant. And so I walked in and I was like, oh, so sad. It was the most beautiful building in the world. And there's, they're, you know, they're serving tequila shots in the back. It was, it was crazy. So anyway, we were just there and we just, we were just awestruck. And so we're, I'm just standing there like this. And they're like, what are you looking at? I'm like, do you not see the stained glass? It's unbelievable. So we asked the manager if we could go up to the stained glass. And so anyway, these two little villains, they're with us and we're just standing there. And I was like, don't you see? Don't you see, right? I just, I mean, just the crazy, right, story. But don't you see, there's Jesus. And he's, he's stretched open like this, but not in the typical, like the, on the cross frame, but instead he had chains on both of his wrists and they were broken. And I said, this is what Jesus has done for the world, to break 
every chain, to loosen every bondage, to redeem us and to set us free. And so these two people far from Jesus, and we just had the greatest time just talking about who they were in Louisville, but then also talking about why we believe what we believe. And so we've heard about our testimony before, right? Youth groups and camps are full of, you give your testimony, brother, right? And that's good. But the testimony that we need to be concentrating on today is not just your personal testimony, but the proof of answering the why questions, this meaningful, answering the questions that unbelievers have in a meaningful way. This is the type of action that Peter is pushing us toward. So there may be unbelievers here today Right? And you find yourself here because you're asking the question, why? Maybe you're just showing up because it's about the time of year that you show up to church, and that's great. Peter uses the word reason to indicate the necessity for this, this mental or cognitive discourse to take place in your heart and in your mind. The fact is that Christianity has some mystical elements, for sure, supernatural stories all over the place. But it's also reasonable. It's coherent. It's knowledge-based. It's proof-based. We would be nothing without the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus had witnesses, many, many witnesses. Without those witnesses, we would just chalk up to another nice story. But we take it as historical fact. So if you're in here and you're questioning your faith, you may be far, we would encourage you. Find Daniel McIntosh right over there and answer the questions, where, where is God's origin? He's got the answers to that. Wouldn't you want to know that? Aren't all religions about the same? Or why, did, why is Jesus the only way to God? Can Christianity really be proven? Isn't the Bible full of contradictions? Again, cognitive, coherent, reasonable, knowledge-based. We have real answers for all of life's big questions. They're great questions and they demand study but they also get at the heart of why we believe what we believe. It's not just a religious experience for most of us in here. It's because is there any other way? Or as Peter would say in John 6, Christ, right? Where else would we go? We have come to a place in our life of where else would we go to find the answers? And we would love to share with you the hope that we have in Jesus. After two years and a pan, of a pandemic, our whole world is lacking hope. We've had our worlds crumble on us financially and even just uh, in our nation and us, even sports were taken away from us for a while. Our health is being questioned. Stability nowhere. People are, we are looking for hope. And there's a reason for why we are all hopeful in Jesus this morning. Peter is rightly preparing the first century church for a time when they will be arrested and taken in front of a magistrate. And they were preparing, Peter is preparing them for this moment. 
Because all of this, all the people of this church will at some point be standing in front of a judge who will ask this one simple question. Is Caesar your king? And what Peter is trying to prepare them for is the answer for that. What then would they say? How would they answer? It's the year 2022 and there are rumblings. And I'm not sure what the question will be. It's, it's definitely not going to be a Caesar king. But there are harder questions coming for us. And how will we answer? Look at the characteristics that are involved. It's just not what, you're not just your actions, it's not just your words, but it's also your character. With gentleness, with respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered to those who revalue your good behavior in Christ Jesus, your character matters. Your character matters. So how do you be a good witness, brothers and sisters? Peter is telling us it's less about in a fiery exchange on social media. It's less about that that one-liner on a college campus, and it's more about the song of hope in your heart your determination and your certainty in uncertain times. So where's your future hope? This morning, where's your future hope? After you're long gone in this world and you simply, you've stopped to exist, where's your hope? We're living in a world that's increasingly a world that's void of any value whatsoever who believes less that there's no God, there is no judgment, and there is no purpose. That might be you this morning. And if so, we would like to challenge you to consider Christ this morning, to consider Jesus this morning. Because our story too starts with rebellion and loss and regret and frustration and death and questions. But at some point, Jesus entered our story and gave us faith and repentance and knowledge and a reality and hope. This morning we would consider, we would ask you to consider Jesus. Consider glorifying Jesus with your life fully and begin a journey with him, a real rational cognitive journey with him. Today starts Holy Week. And a week full, I mean, we just we have chopped your, I mean, just chalked your calendar full of events because we want you to engage Holy Week in a real and a powerful way because we believe that this is the proof in which all proofs rest, that Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man, came and died and then was risen again on the third day. If it's true, it has changed all of our lives and we believe it's true. Let's pray. So King Jesus, we want to rest in this hope. We want to rest in the reality of what you have done for us. This morning, we may not have considered why we believe. And so we encourage, if you're a believer in here today, and you haven't cognitively, rationally engaged your faith to truly to come and ask, start asking some hard questions. Because the, digger, the deeper we dig, the more beautiful Christ come, becomes. Maybe you're far from Jesus in here this morning. 
and you're really skeptical of things of faith, and that's okay. We too would encourage you the same question, or the same question. Would you at least start asking the why question? We may surprise you with just the historic and the beauty and the rationale of our faith and what we truly believe in. So King Jesus, we give you this next moment for this moment is the picture that you wanted us to continue to come around. Help us to live not just with our, with our minds or with our, with our words, but also with our conduct as well. And it's in your name we pray.